Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by America's Choice Windows, where you'll get 10 windows for just $36.80. Always a fun time here on Texas Home Improvement. I'm sitting here. My name is Brian McFarland, by the way. I'm sitting here right next to Jim Dutton, who's got a little bit of a scratchy throat, but you feel fine. Oh, I feel fine, but I just can't talk. Boy, you don't sound very good, but you're, you feel fine. Yeah. <laughs> just had a procedure done, and they kind of scratch your throat up a little bit as they were removing the, the tube out. We won't get any, any more detail on this procedure, I promise you. <laughs> but uh, we are here to take your calls, answer your questions. Uh, Brian, I will tell you, I wish that was the end the procedure was at, but basically they had to That is why I don't want to talk about this <laughs> procedure. We don't want to lose any listeners. We need to take calls and answer questions. Let's go to an email question from Michael from Rowlett. It says, Jim, I believe I heard you say not to let them drip on your show Saturday. I remember this question. Your rationale made sense to me, and I posted that as a PSA and have since caught a lot of flack for saying this, that it dropped the water pressure and had the potential to hinder firefighting efforts. Do you know where I can get some definitive literature regarding this? I know there's a recent article discussing a similar issue due to lack of pressure out in California, but I'm looking for something more substantive. However you say that. Thank you for your time. I guess you need to bail this guy out because he's he's been called out by the people that uh, he posted that PSA to. Well, and to be honest with you, I've heard, I've done this for so long. I don't know where the actual literature is of it, but if you talk to firefighters, any any of the emergency people, and just common sense tells you, right? If everybody's leaving water dripping, water pressure is going to come down. There is only so much pressure that goes through the pipes and so much volume of water right. that can go through the pipe. So every time something is turned on, it takes it down just a notch. Well, if everybody leaves something dripping, you got no water pressure and you got no volume of water. The volume of water can be a bigger problem for the firefighters than the pressure. Hmm. So one interesting thing, every time you go on, and we're all over <clears> the state <throat> of Texas, we're in Austin, Houston, uh, and definitely here in Dallas on a on a couple stations, whenever you're on with the news anchors, because they always have you on when it freezes, um, they call you up and ask you all the, you know, what are the common things that happen? When you mention that, I always notice that they look at you like, really? I didn't know that. And I'm just wondering, why do you think that? I mean, nobody, I, I never hear people talking about this. Well, I, I think the, uh, well, first of all, I talk with a lot of different firefighters and stuff. And if you watch any of the northern states, they don't have that issue typically because they prepare their pipes for it. But if you watch some of the stories, and he made reference to it in his uh, email there. Right. If you watch stories in the southern states, they will, on the news stories, the firefighters will actually say on the air, we were fighting this fire, we didn't have enough water pressure because pipes were dripping. It's a problem. Right. Is there is there some official literature that went out there? I don't know. I, not that I've ever seen. Common sense tells me though, when when uh you're leaving faucets on, you got an issue. But more so when I'm seeing firefighters having the problem, you got to stop doing it. But a lot of people will come back and say, well, if I don't leave my <laughs> pipes dripping, they're gonna burst. So don't be so lazy. Wrap them. Well, right. <laughs> well, one year I wrapped it and left it dripping, and I called you the next day. It froze up. Well. And think about it. Rivers freeze. 
if you look at any of the fountains, they got water flowing. It all freezes up. Niagara Falls is freezing. Right. Water freezes even if it's flowing. You got to protect it from the cold. Well, and better to have, you know, everybody do that and not have somebody's house burned down because there wasn't enough water pressure. Exactly. So. And 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 let's be honest here. Once you've wrapped your pipes, you're done. It's not like you got to do it every year. Right. The only thing we have to go out and prepare each year is our hose bibs themselves. Right. And just leave them. And now, what about watering the foundation? When people do that, obviously you can't water the foundation. Is it okay for a good long period of time to not do that? I mean, you have to. You can't water if it's freezing. I right. know that. But yeah, but I mean, we only had four days of freezing weather. Right. Shut it off. Shut it off. Disconnect it, and you're and you're fine. Roger from Fort Worth. You're on with Jim Dutton. Uh, thank you, uh, Jim. I was wondering. I have a radiant barrier in my home, but when I walk up in the attic. It seems pretty stifling to me during July and August. I'm wondering, are you going to notice a difference when you walk in your attic, uh, temperature-wise, or is it just a matter of, say, 5, 10 degrees that's going to help with the energy bill? Uh, it just seems really hot to me. Well, your, your attic's still going to be hot, uh, and you probably have a radiant barrier that's on the roof rafters, right? It came only wood panels when they put it in. It was prefab with the... Uh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so it's on the, the, the decking of the roof. Mm-hmm. The decking, and, yes. And, and I'm going to tell you, I've got that on my house, and then I also put a radiant barrier on the attic floor of my house to block oh, okay. the heat that does get in the attic from getting into the insulation and, and the living space. So <clears throat> to answer your question, yes, you would feel the heat still, but believe it or not, it's dropping the temperature in your attic 10 to 15 degrees. Yeah, that's what I figured. I also have 18 inches of insulation blown in. Do you think I need more than that? How many inches? 18. No, that's roughly 15, 16 inches is all we really need. So if you got 18, you're, you're doing fine. Okay, but what through the course of, say, 15 years, does that insulation, some of it, gets blown around and doesn't stay in place, be a good idea to just go ahead and put another six? Well, what normally happens is over the years, it'll if it's blown in insulation, it'll start to settle and compact. Yeah. And then, okay. yes, we end up adding on top of it. But if you still got 18 inches, there's really not a reason to. All right. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thank Roger, you, you have a great weekend. Um, before we go to Joe in Fort Worth, I wanted to uh, talk to Todd Tremonti, host of Texas Real Estate with Todd Tremonti, now at its new time, 5 o'clock, right here on WBAP. And uh, Todd, are you there? I'm here. I don't know what happened, but it sounds like you two might have gotten a shouting match and maybe Brian won. I think he turned <laughs> my mic off, probably. That's what happened. But, uh, no. <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk to you real quick because we had a discussion today, uh, in fact, this morning, and I knew we were going to have DFW Improved here talking about remodeling. But you guys are, obviously, you buy and sell homes uh, through the Todd Money Home Selling Team. But you guys have a unique situation right now with the market being so hot. When it comes to remodel or sell, there's a little bit different advice being given. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, and the funny thing is, you know, let me reword it. We, we get this question all the time. Should I sell my house and buy another one, buy a bigger one? 
or because things are a little expensive, should I just add on to my house? So that's the question we're getting a lot of. And, you know, my company, Touch Money Home Selling Team, gets paid when people buy and sell houses, and we represent them, and we love to do it. But that's not always the best thing for somebody to do. So more than at any point in my career, I am telling some people, you know, where you are with the house and the lot you've got, I would recommend that you add on or you remodel, reconfigure, recapture some square footage or reuse it. And, uh, you know, that's the best thing for some people where the price per square foot of an update, a remodel, or even an addition is actually less than the cost of them buying a larger home. Plus, you have to add in just the annoyance cost of packing up your stuff and moving. So um, that's not true for everyone. By all means, there's a lot of people that would be better off financially in, you know, uh, know, state of mind by selling and buying something else. But more than ever, we're telling people, you know, get, uh, get the work done and stay where you are. Right. Well, and, and I think that's important that uh, you, let me just rephrase that. You guys are so honest with the people you talk to. You talk to a lot of agents, their job, they want to sell because they want to make money on that house. If you want to sell, they want to sell it for you. You guys actually sit down and talk to people about what's the goal here? Why are we doing this? Yeah, and, and listen, I, I'm not going to try to sound like I'm the, the greatest guy that ever lived. We, you know, we shoot straight with people, and we're honest, and we want to operate with highest levels of character and integrity. But it's a smart business move. Even if I was a greedy jerk, I still think that's the smartest business move. Listen, if it's not the right thing for you to do to move now, later when it is, I'm, hopefully I'll be the one that gets that call. So, yes, we're doing it because it's the right thing. But I still think the right thing is the best business thing. So it really works out well for everybody. The intriguing thing is that there are very few times in a real estate market or in a local economy where what we just said is true, where it might actually be more affordable to add new additional exterior square footage and go through that frustration than to sell and buy a larger home, even if you were to move to a different area. There are times where those opportunities cross paths. Um, but right now, you know, for certain people, if you've got a big lot and a small house and you love your area, you love your schools, you love your commute, I'm not saying that's the best thing for you, but more than ever, that's a consideration. If you're going to put a hole in the ground, it's going to take on water. You yep. got to have a way to catch it. If you go into the, you know, people always ask, why don't we have basements here? And that's, you know, and everybody always thinks it's because of the moisture and it's not. Right. Even the northern states, they have a moisture issue. The reason northern states have basements is the ground freezes. They're trying to get the foundation below the ground freeze. And once they get down to that five-foot mark, well, we might as well go another two or three feet and have a great usable basement. And that's also the reason some basements have low ceilings. But I was actually at a basement house here in north Texas last week. Really? And they had the same issue. They were getting moisture coming in. And I said, well, you know, you can either dig everything out and put a French drain around the outside or the water's migrating right here. Let's just put a hole, put a sump pump, and your problem's taken care of. And that's actually what they do in the northern states as well. How often do you see basements in Texas? I get out to a basement probably twice a year. Really? Yeah. A lot more often than you think. Well, whereabouts? Here and more in Dallas or? Uh there, there, there's some here in the Dallas area, mostly Fort Worth area. Okay. 
surprisingly enough, there was a neighborhood in the Houston area where they put basements. This whole neighborhood was built with basements. It was a very interesting neighborhood. I went, I went there when they were building the houses just because I wanted to see them. Michael and McKinney, you're on with Jim Dutton. Hey, I had a question about an uh, air conditioning system. So in the house, and once you take the panel off, there's something in there that looks kind of like a radiator. It's got some stuff on it that they said it wasn't mold, but it's kind of a black stuff. Going to sell me an ultraviolet light to put in there. And I'm wondering if I could just go along and uh, clean it off the bleach and be done with it. No. No, because if you just clean it off with bleach, uh, it, it they make a substance to clean that stuff properly with. Uh, and quite frankly, it's got to be pulled out, rinsed off, uh, and, and they can do it right there in the attic. They slide off the panels and everything, but that is definitely not a, a place where a do-it-yourselfer goes in. And I'll, I'll be honest, I won't even go in and mess with those that area myself because... It, you, if you start bending those fins, you don't get proper airflow. If you break one, now you're losing your coolant. Uh, it can become very expensive. Now, do you need the light? Eh, maybe, maybe not. But definitely don't try to clean it yourself. Tim in Clear Lake, you're on with Jim Dutton. Hey, good afternoon, gentlemen. How y'all doing? Doing good. Except for your voice, that is. Uh, yep, everything else is good except my voice. Hey, uh, what I've got is I want to, uh, um, on my back porch, uh, concrete back porch where it comes out the back door, um, it sunk in a little bit right there in that area, and I want to build me a little frame and uh, mix some concrete and maybe put some rebarb in there just, just to stiffen it up and to step it up a little bit to make it a better step. But uh, what is the minimum, uh, because it slopes a little bit from the door down into the uh, backyard area, it's not going to be very big, maybe three foot by four foot. What's the minimum depth that I'm allowed for uh, concrete? Can you help me? You're, and you're talking about the minimum depth on top of concrete? Yes. I don't want to chew up the other concrete or break that out yet. Yeah. Because I plan on redoing it eventually, maybe in the spring or maybe even later, but not right now. But I do want to build up something there for the time being. Yeah. If, if you're going on top of existing concrete – Minimum thickness is two inches. Okay. Okay. Now, That's what I you mentioned. To... You mentioned putting some reinforcing in it and stuff. If you're going on top of existing concrete and you're going to be, you know, only two or three inches, whatever, don't bother putting any steel or rebar. Use the fiber reinforcing instead uh, because it'll, it'll actually do a better job on thin concrete like that. Uh, I hadn't seen that. I don't know what that is, the fiber reinforcing. Uh, you actually can find it even at the box stores. I've seen it at uh, Home Depot. Uh, okay. And basically it's it's a fiberglass mesh that you can mix in the concrete. Now, I will tell you, when you finish your concrete, it's going to look a little hairy, but the strings will wear off. But then they're mixed in through the concrete, uh, and it gives hmm. it the, its reinforcing. They also make a steel reinforcing mesh that, uh, that you can drop into the concrete. I don't care for that, though, because the, the steel pieces tend to be popping up at the surface when you pour the concrete, and it shows, and, and they can become a little bit sharp sometimes. So I, I prefer the uh, fiber type. Okay, I had, I had no idea. I only had seen the uh, rebarb there at the box stores, but uh, yep. I'll look for that before I get started. I appreciate the help, though. Thank you. You bet. That.
Tim, you take care. Steve. Hi, how you doing? Doing great. Uh, how are you today? So good. So I'm thinking about buying a house with a swimming pool, and I'm wondering if you could give me a 90-second primer on key issues or things I should be looking at with respect to uh, the pool surface, the walkway around it, pumps, filters, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, things I should be looking at and looking for and, and uh, any telltale signs that there's problems or, or opportunities for <clears throat> improvements. Okay. First thing I'm going to tell you, there ain't a swimming pool out there that doesn't have a problem. All pools eventually will have some type of issue with it. So even if it's in perfect condition today, tomorrow something could change. But first thing I would do, I'd walk over where the pump's at and listen to the pump. If it's nice and quiet, you're doing okay. If it's got a, a rather loud hum, you got some bearings that are starting to go out on the pump or the motor maybe needing rewrapping. Look at where the water uh, filter thing is by the pump there and see mm -hmm. if you're getting air bubbles coming into it. That's an indication there's a leak in one of the lines. Uh, beyond that, just look at all the, the pipes there and fittings and see if you see anything that's got a drip on it or anything like that. Chances are you don't you won't find any drips over there. That that water, the, the air bubbles go though going into that basket for clean out, that's a telltale uh -huh. that there is a leak somewhere. Next thing I would do then is walk around the pool, see if the pool deck is, is up flush and nice and tight around the coping. Uh, that's the, the top part of the pool. Right. You know, from time to time, our soils expand and contract. The pool deck's going to go down and up again. You just need to see, you know, if it's in good shape at this point. Well, define nice and tight against the coping. If there's a gap, it's moved. If it, well, if, it if there's no gap, it's, it's nice and tight. If it's about a... The one I just looked at was about a three-quarter inch gap, but it was all around. It was pretty, pretty even all around. And and does it have? Uh, is it is it filled with a uh, a material, or is it or is it uh, pulled away from the material? And there's just what, a, an air gap there. Th there was it's an air gap all the way around. It looked like there was no caulk or sealant put in between. Okay, it, it if there's any caulk and sealant on there, and then it's pulled away, that's an indication that it's moved. If there was, if there's no caulk or sealant of any kind between the two hard surfaces, that indicates to me that they used a, uh, they make some foam type stuff that they used to use, mm -hmm. and it, and that deteriorates over time, and so that's probably what they used, and it just needs to be sealed in. No okay. big deal on that. Okay. Uh, beyond that, the big thing you got to look at is what the finish of the plaster in the pool is, is it is it just one of those white uh type plasters or is it the yes, kind that's yes, got the little your, pebbles basic, yeah your basic gunite pool with the, the the coping around it and a three foot walkway around it okay that's and the, the, is a white finish in real nice crystal shape uh, i would say that it's in good shape maybe not crystal okay i'm not sure what you mean by crystal no, well, by that I mean anything. it's all nice and white. You're not seeing any brown streaks or uh, areas where no. it looks like it's getting thin. Oh, okay, that's what I'm looking for. No, I didn't. I didn't notice anything like maybe on the top step there was a little discoloration. Okay, then then you should be good with that. And the reason for looking at that that will eventually have to be redone, and that's yeah. where the real money comes in because to refinish it they got pumped the pool down, 
chip that off and refinish it and go back. And But if that's in good shape, how old a swimming pool is it? Um, I'm not sure. I'm supposed to get paperwork on it today. I, I guess maybe 10, 15 years old. Okay. Chances are good it's been refi- replastered once already then because that's about the life expectancy of the plaster. It's okay. somewhere 15 to 20 years. Okay. So, Brian, you've got a pool also. I mean, I've had pools, but you've got one now. What other things should he look for? I would definitely look at the filter. What type of filter is it? And also, is the filter the right size? You can A lot of times they'll put the smaller filter on the on the pool. Now, that's not real expensive. I mean, you're looking at maybe 800 to $1,000. That's for expensive. A, okay, <laughs> for a DE <laughs> filter. But you could have a DE filter. You could have a cartridge filter, sand filter. There are other types of filters, but I would check that out. And also, just look at the plumbing. Make sure, like you said, nothing's leaking. Uh, but okay. the bigger thing, like you said, is the plaster. Because that, if you find out, if you find out when that pool was made, and if they've had any other plaster work done on it, that'll tell you a lot about that pool. Yeah. Okay. So that's the big ticket item, huh? That's the big ticket item. Great. Well, hey, thank you very much for the insight. I appreciate it. You guys are doing a great job. Thank you, sir. You have a great day. You too. Bye bye. Go to Larry. You're on with Jim. Hey, I have an unusual problem with a fireplace in our home in Colorado. It's a very large fireplace. It's like 20 feet long and five feet, four feet high in the opening. And what's happening, when we start a fire, a natural wood fire, the room fills up with smoke until the fire gets hot and the heat can go up. Yep. And then the house clears out. We, cut, we contacted a fireplace company up in Colorado, and they say we need to put a fan on the top of the chimney yeah. for $5,000 to suck the Holy air cow. out when we start the fire. Is there any other solution to that? There is, because I, I've got a similar issue at my own house. Um, anytime you have a really big fireplace, you kind of have this this issue, and a fan is one way to to address it. Five thousand seems totally ridiculous in cost, but what I have found at my own house is rather than starting the the fire with stuff that's real smoky, I get I get it started with with uh, something that burns hot, so it gets the air moving up first, and then I add the wood to the fire, and it, it eliminates the smoke coming inside. Okay, what uh, kind of material are you talking about? Usually, what I use is the the fire starter logs. Okay. Or the fake logs. Uh, okay. One of those, let them get burning good, and then I just add my wood to it after that. Okay, that sounds like a reasonable solution. We also tried using a blower from below that blows hot air to get it up, but that really didn't work. No, yeah, that don't, that won't work too well. All right, but you don't like the idea of, a, of putting a fan on the top of the chimney to suck it out or something. Well, it's like not that. that I don't. I, that is a great solution, but for five grand, doesn't doesn't right. sound very cost effective. Okay, that's that's a good solution. Those fake logs, whatever. Thank you very much. You bet. Take care. Let's go to Lori in Kingwood. You're on with Jim. Hey, Lori. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, my question is in regards to some outdoor caulking around my garage. Um, the caulk has kind of pulled away from the hardy plank between where on the side of the garage door, and yeah. I need to recaulk it. And there's a gap there of about an inch or maybe more. And when the painters came and painted the house the last time, I don't think they put any kind of backer behind it to kind of support that and so that's why it's pulling away so i bought some of that um oh foam it's like a foam foam strip that you're supposed to use yeah. for caulking um, 
Is yeah, that what you recommend to, to fill that gap? Yeah. Now, what What is this gap that you're seeing, though? Um, well, it's it's where the the hardy plank actually attaches. It, you it's parallel to the the garage door. Okay. And so it's just where the you know where they seal it off, and it's just a larger gap up on the top side than it is as you get farther down the garage door. Oh, gotcha. And so I think it needs some sort. I mean, my dad used to do it with cardboard. I remember. Yeah. That, you know, but um, I bought some sort of foam and just for. Yeah, you you bought a, what's called a backer rod. That's just yes. a, a, a yes, rope exactly. of foam. And yeah, you can just tuck that in there and then cock over it. Okay. And so if this goes like it, the gap goes, I would say probably about three feet down before the caulk is properly sealed. Do I need to take the caulk out from top to bottom? Or can I take it out down to the point to where it's properly sealed and then just caulk the upper part? Well, if you want, you can go down just to where it's properly sealed. Okay. Uh, and if you're going to paint it anyways, it won't, it won't yes. show. Okay. And uh, is is the weather now conducive to that, or should I wait until it gets a little warmer? Or Well, you, you want to wait until we're at least uh, in the 50s and up. Okay. Okay, I was just curious if I could do it tomorrow. I, I needed to wait another month or so. <laughs> nah, you ought to be fine to do it tomorrow. Okay, great. Thank you very much for your help. You bet. Take care. Let's see, I recently insulated the crawl space of our pier and beam home with R19 with the paper side up. However, I've been reading up on crawl space encapsulation, and then others argue to let it breathe given the diverse weather in Texas. What is my best route? Thank you. Always the best route is to leave it open and let it breathe. If you are going to insist on doing some insulation, what you want to do is simply use a spray foam closed cell information because that doesn't allow any moisture in. The problem with putting any insulation underneath the crawl space, it holds the moisture. Our soils have a tremendous amount of moisture that gets released and the insulation will hold it and it holds moisture against the wood starts wood rot and that just creates a lot of problems for you so if you got the option like i said leave it breathe but if you're insisting on putting some insulation underneath there close cell is what you're going to be looking at okay quick question that came in i'm considering building a new home my wife and i want to look want it to look like an older home can you give me a cost comparison of hardy board and paint versus brick in terms of product costs and installation with today's paints, how long would I have before I would need to repaint? I like the look of porches with exposed rafters. Am I looking for trouble in terms of rot or maintenance, pressure washing and painting, if I go that look? Thanks, Roger. Well, Roger, I can tell you it'll definitely be cheaper to go with hardy-type materials than it is to go with brick. As far as how long will the paint last, uh, if you go with the Color Plus, you're probably not going to have to worry about painting for at least 20 years. If you go with regular paints, you're probably not having to look at repainting for 15 years if you use a good brand paint. Now, I, I will tell you, Hardy, uh, when they paint it at the factory, they use Valspar paint. And it holds up extremely well, much better than painting wood ever thought about doing. So, uh, if you really, if you're going to build it and you want to save some money... 
going with James Hardy is absolutely the way to go. And as far as that exposed beam and stuff, if it's under the porch like you're talking about, you don't have to worry about it rotting away. It'll outlast your lifetime and mine. You'll be just fine. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.